we are creating the largest online store of U.S. made products. Oh, that's it cool. It will be madeinusa.com. So it'll be a quick, easy way for people to find, identify, and purchase an American-made product, consequently keeping dollars here. Uh, the goal is to be the doorway or the gateway between the U.S. manufacturers and the world. This is episode number 21 with Don Buckner. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. Uh, Once again, my name is Dave Brown. I'm here with my co-host, Barbara Allen. And before we get into this week's episode and guest, uh, we just want to let you know that we created an awesome and free guide for anyone who wants to fulfill their potential, strengthen their purpose, learn new strategies to take on their goals and live their American dreams. So if you'd like to get access to this free guide, just go to innercircle.americansnippets.com. All right, so let's dive right into today's episode. Uh, Jeff Bezos may be among the most famous, well-known garage startup success stories, but he's far from the only one. Don Buckner also launched a multi-million dollar company from a garage and overcame enormous personal and professional challenges along the way and without any kind of formal education. And in the process, his innate commitment to American-made products and the American manufacturing business grew. And today, Don is all about supporting and promoting American-made companies. Don is now the CEO of the nonpartisan private company MadeInAmerica.com. And he's on a mission to raise awareness for the economic, environmental, and community impact of American-made manufacturers and brands and is investing his own resources to do so. So listen in as Don talks about his uh, personal and professional path that led him to where he is today. He offers insight on building a company and shares his beliefs on why it is so important to support American-made companies. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Don Buckner. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen. Very excited to be here today. You know, it's always fun and it's always exciting when you come across somebody who um, shares similar beliefs that you do or is aligned with your mission, but it's rare in our world because not many people are doing something along the track that we are doing. And so when I found Don Buckner and the event that he just held in Indianapolis that I am sorry we found out about a smidge too late to really do much more than say, wow, that is awesome. Uh, I was so excited and I know you're going to be excited too, not only for his patriotic streak that he's got as a CEO of MadeInAmerica.com, but for the very story he's about to share with us of growing, we've all heard of companies and people like Jeff Bezos building businesses in his garage and exploding into enormous success. Don has the same story. It is not a one hit wonder, that story. It is true validation of the point that hard work, determination, and grit can get you anywhere in this country if you're willing to, to go for it and pursue it. And Don is going to take the time today to share his story of how he did all that, why he feels so patriotic, and the awesomely crazy thing that he's doing right now uh, to promote 
patriotism and the American brand and the American spirit. Don, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Marv, thank you for having me and taking the time to do this. This is uh, so important. Yeah, thanks. I'm like all bubbly and exploded because it's been, well, A, coffee, but B, because I'm genuinely excited, (laughs) (laughs) you know, to be sitting down with you today. Let's start first. We're going to talk about what you're doing now as the CEO of Made in America, and then we're going to go back to your garage days uh, and and how you built that, and and then we'll take it back together and loop it all up so that we can share the story and people can follow along and and get these important lessons that you're about to teach. So what is madeinamerica.com? Um, madeinamerica.com. Yeah, you have it right. Madeinamerica.com is um, a domain uh, that I've had for many years, and we can talk. We'll talk about that later. How that came to be, but in October of last year, uh, basically a, a year ago, we made a conscious decision to do something with that particular domain, and that was to start a trade show. We hear the words "made in America" and "made in USA." thrown around all the time, but they're not tangible. They're not real. They're not, you can't reach out and touch them. They don't have any context. So we try, we, we came up with the idea of putting together a trade show or a, a home show or convention, if you will, of bringing together U.S. manufacturers, all shapes, all sizes, all sectors uh, from all parts of the country. Uh, that had never been done before. Most trade shows are done very industry specific. Um, and the, this, this was not industry specific. We wanted to do B2B and B2C so that we could basically bring all these manufacturers and their products to the consumers so they can see the products are still made in the United States. Awesome. Why is that important to you? Or why, and why is that important to the people who participated? My philosophy is that the more dollars we keep in this country, uh, the stronger this country will be. And dollars equal power. Uh, every day we have an opportunity as consumers to spend our dollars uh, on American-made products or an imported product. And when we buy an imported product, we're basically giving our sovereignty, our power, and our wealth to many times our enemies. And if we just take the time uh, to consider not just the price, not just quality, but also country of origin, when it comes to to making that determination of that purchase, uh, we will have significantly changed the economy of this country. Uh, We as consumers uh, can can do that. We have that power and we just need to recognize that power and that's part of our education side. So you got this idea and then you spent a couple of years fleshing it out, right? No, I know that's not how it went. This idea hit you and you just ran with it. We yeah. kicked it around for about a week. Yeah. And said, that seems reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> well, the phrase kept coming up, uh, if not us, who? Uh-huh. And so we have been blessed with a lot of, um, we had the resources, we had the people, uh, we had the domain. So we jumped in with both feet. It took five months to put all the, uh, there's four contractors you have to have from decorator to registrar to uh, there's four major contractors you have to have. You have to secure a venue um, and put all those pieces together. So it was actually five months before we actually turned on the website and you had to develop the website all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So those were some pretty challenging days. Uh, no cash flow. So literally it was all outflow. Um, so we had to front all that money and then we started the sales side. And so when you call, 
when we would call people to be part of the show, they say, how long have you been doing this? Uh, I'm like, never. This is our first time. Would you like to be our first uh, participant? And many people would say, well, maybe next year, or uh, we got to take it to the board, or it's not in the budget. They come up with all kinds of reasons. And so we had to overcome a lot of obstacles uh, to convince people to come. And well, the ones that got it, got it. They said, we're gonna, not going to miss it. We're going to be there no matter what. And uh, we're so glad you're doing it. And we're excited to come. Yes, that's all seems very hauntingly familiar, those phrases. Every single thing that you just said. <laughs> that's where we're living right now. Um, but it's exciting, right? And it's great And when you believe in it. And when you, it turns at the end of it all, the people who don't come on board don't seem as significant as people who do come on board because the ones who do come on board are so thoroughly invested in why you're doing it and they bring the energy that you need to, to do an event like that. Uh, you're exactly right. Um, I train my team. If somebody doesn't get in about five minutes, move on. Yeah. And, and because you can spend all day trying to convince somebody to be passionate or patriot, I love this country the way they need to, but you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it in, in, in one day. You, you will have to. That takes time. And so we don't have the time to do that. So we find the people that already have that burning desire. There's a vacuum in there. As you already found, you found that vacuum too. And we're filling that vacuum where people feel the need to get the products, be proud of those products being made in the United States, and then put a glaring light. Our job is to put a glaring light on the fact that they are American. They provide jobs. They provide security. They are the backbone. Manufacturing is the backbone of any good economy. We can't be a services economy. There's no way. Manufacturing is one of three ways that you can build wealth. Manufacturing, you take part A, put it with part B, sell it as part C. That's wealth generation. Uh, you can also buy an asset, let it appreciate. That's number two. Or you can stick a seed in the ground and let it grow or grow, grow a crop of animals or plants. So those are the three basic ways to grow wealth. And manufacturing is by far the backbone of any good economy. Uh, we've given up a lot of our sovereignty to other countries. Uh, 20 years ago, we, we made all our electronics. We, we made all our clothes. Uh, we made all our pharmaceuticals. There's some uh, scary statistics right now that um, if you haven't read uh, China Rx, it's a great book by Rosemary. I forgot her last name, Hamilton, I think. And she claims that 80% of our pharmaceutical at least the major components of our pharmaceuticals are now controlled by China. Mm. So think about that. So six months, if they decided not to sell us our electronics, our cars would be dead. Our phones would be dead. Um, we wouldn't be dressed. 97% of our clothes are now made outside this country. Uh, and we wouldn't have drugs. So we'd be sick. We'd be back in caveman days, literally. And so our sovereignty is really at stake. And manufacturing is key. And so we have to work really hard to bring that back. And that's what I think the administration has recognized and working so hard for. And that's, that's our goal, too. So we're, we're on, in that bandwagon rowing as hard as we know how. Wow. It sounds like you must have at least a couple degrees in business or economics. <laughs> and I'm joking around. I know. But like listening to you, right, it's just further proof of another key part of your story is that you just, you're self-taught. Absolutely self-taught. Uh, started a family very early age. I didn't have an opportunity to go to college and didn't have a chance to go to, into any service. Um, but 
I got under the tutelage of a great mentor. Uh, I grew up in the steel business and fabrication. Uh, technically, I'm a welder and a mechanic uh, by trade, um, but I learned a lot of the business side of how to run receivables, payables, inventory, manage people. Business is not complicated. Uh, in my opinion, it doesn't require four years of your life to try and figure it out and have some professor tell you that uh, you don't know what you're doing and this is how you should do it. I I, I coach people in business all the time, and if they can manage five or six things in their business and look at their ratios uh, and know that, uh, I can teach them in a matter of hours how to run a business and how to run it effectively. So it's not it's not rocket science. Crazy. So you were, you said you were, you started a family at a young age. Was that like not fifteen young? Nineteen. But like nineteen. Okay, that's young. That's young. Um, so you're nineteen years old. You're starting a family when a lot of 19 year olds, my 19 year olds are in college, right? Like yes. living, living the life right now. Um, but that, that grows you up like that. You grow up very quickly when, when that happens and you accept the responsibility and step into that role. How would you do that? Cause I know there are a lot of people who are in similar situations and maybe just feel like their default, their go-to is to just say, okay, I'm going to just, suck this professional path up for 20 years because that's my only option because now I can only focus, you know, raise the family or do, I have to take whatever job and stay there just to make sure I have that consistency for this family. That's not the path that you, you somehow managed you and your wife managed to, to take a different path. Well, I, uh, I didn't choose this path that chose me. So uh, after 10 years of marriage, my wife left me. Uh, I happened to be working for her family, so I lost my job, lost my family. She took my kids, wow. lost absolutely everything, absolutely yeah. everything. So I was not, um, it was not by choice that I had yeah. started a business. And and so I started with nothing. Um, I'm a man of faith, and I was praying one morning, and uh, I heard the Lord say, uh, I want it all. So I got up. And said, okay, I wrote everything I had in the bank to the, to the church, which was $19. And I said, okay, Lord, now I truly have nothing. And so by noon, I had already started a small business. And by noon that day, I had $6,000 being mailed to me for $30,000 worth of business. And that was the promise I made to God a long time ago. That it was all his. That was 1994. And from that point forward, uh, it hasn't all been roses. Trust me, there's been ups and downs. But... Uh, built a company. We've done over $300 million worth in business and started with, with absolutely nothing and nothing but will and determination and faith that things were going to turn out right. And, and, uh, and here we are today. We're excited. Wow. So you look, you lost everything except your will, determination, and your faith. You kept the three most important things you need uh, to, in order to find that path and find that purpose and grow, uh, you know, the way you needed to grow. And a lot of people, again, and I know this, like we've all got our stories, we've all got our hardships. And um, when, you know, hardship hit me and my life was kind of knocked out from under me, I didn't necessarily default to, oh, I'm going to hang on to my faith, my will and determination. I'm going to oh. grow. I defaulted to please kill me like now, you know, like literally that's, that was my default mechanism. So, you know, don't under undervalue what you held on to to grow there you know that's not as easy as you just right well the challenge as you know 
is to control your thinking. Yes. If you can tell that thought in your mind that I can't make it, tell that thought to leave. Tell it, go away. I don't believe you. So you have to learn to control your thinking. It's a practice trait. And you don't listen. let your circumstances control your emotions. That's another thing that people have to really work on. If their circumstances and the environment around them control how they act, behave, and how they speak, they will fail. And so you have to rise above the situations that are around you and think beyond those, and, and you can have hope then when you, when you don't allow those situations to control you. Yes, not, not an easy thing. And you can you testify to that. Yeah, unfortunately, I had to, you know, take a lot more beatings before I started to open myself up to that important lesson. Uh, so what was one of the first things you did then when you're at this low place and, you know, you've lost all these things that you hold dear to you? How did you go from that space in that moment to saying, I'm going to start this company in my garage? It's all evolution. Uh, you certainly don't start at the top you start small uh you take two or three ideas and it starts with an idea it's all conceptual and then you you, you put it on paper you think about it you pray about it and you and then you say okay where should i go what direction should i take and then it all starts with um, my dad always said that the three most important things in business are sales sales and sales everything else will take care of itself if you can generate the sales of course you have to build in some profit but so we started working with that philosophy of of marketing so while we were a manufacturing company at the end of the day i believe that we were a manu uh, a marketing company uh if you have the best product in the world and nobody knows about it it's worthless mm -hmm. so the key is to have your marketing in place and at the time, it was all traditional marketing, traditional publications. Uh, that was the company I started, which was Vactron Equipment. So we developed a product, developed distribution, developed, uh, uh, I'm a backyard inventor, backyard engineer. So we put all those pieces together, and, and it just happened to be the right product at the right time. And that's, timing is very important. And we all, we grew the company to be on number 13 on the Inc. 500 list in a matter of three years. We grew 6,500%. Um, in a matter of three years, all without borrowing any money. So it was very tight wow. cash flow management. Um, I was blessed with the um, Entrepreneur of the Year for the state of Florida for that award. And so I was very honored to have that. And it's give, kind of given me a platform to be able to speak to people. And uh, <laughs> somehow I became an expert in this field. And <laughs> uh, now I, I graciously give away all my expertise. I don't charge anybody anything. So I just love doing it. That's great. So what is the product then? And who is we when you say we decided to develop it? We is uh, probably <laughs> the royal we. <laughs> um, no, the product was it's a large industrial vacuum equipment, which is primarily used for environmental cleanup. Um, uh, there was a dot-com bubble happening at the time, if you remember, and 9-11 came and the downturn came. And so it went through some ups and downs, big vacuum cleaner. Uh, basically is what it was and um, it was it was a lot of fun we had a lot of fun putting that business together so you just were hanging out and said I think I want to build vacuum cleaners no 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 again <laughs> same thing so I started another product line right. 
and I had actually started in the septic truck business and building septic trucks and and I was what I called a virtual manufacturer so I didn't I knew all the shops around I didn't have any employees at all so the way I would do it was market and advertise in the truck trader at the time and I distribute that across the country and I would start taking orders and the way I would take an order I named the company American Manufacturing so when people would call me I'd, they'd say, I'd say American Manufacturing they'd say sales I'd say sales Don <laughs> and so uh, that's how it worked and I would get a third deposit which would allow me to buy the materials I'd have the materials drop ship to one of my buddy's shops that did the fabrication for me I would pay him a third uh, I'd keep a third and the third was for materials. And I did that for three years. And, but the company that I was buying trucks from and the company I was buying vacuum pumps from got together and said, we don't need Don. We're going to cut him out of the picture. I said, okay, I got another box of lemons I got to deal with. Mm-hmm. And so consequently, I happened to come across a magazine that had something similar to what I wound up building. And I said, I think I can do better than that. So sure enough, I had one built on spec and took it over to uh, local ditch witch dealer at the time. And he says, I love it. I'll take one. By the way, go see this dealer and this dealer and this dealer. And the next thing you know, we developed manufacturing, we developed a brand, we developed uh, a whole whole industry, basically. And we became the industry leader in, in a matter of three years. We were by far the industry leader. We had a better product, we had better distribution. And we just, uh, we just, Worked our tails off. It was early up, up early late and to bed late. So up early and to bed late. Yeah, yeah. got it. So like, what is one of the, the lessons or the takeaways that you remember like having that moment where you just learned something or realized something that made that difference in taking you to where you needed to go? Like, did you have one of those moments that said, oh my gosh, I see this here and I need to... I need to do that. All those moments can be always found in the down times. The down times, uh, my favorite saying is our struggles make us stronger. Mm-hmm. And without struggles, you're weak. And that's the problem with kids today. Kids are not allowed to struggle. And consequently, they're weak. But all those downturns, especially after 9-11 and the dot-com bubble busting, we went to 15% of the business we were doing. So we were doing $20, $25 million a year, and we went down to around $3 million a year. Had to lay off some very good friends. Um, so those were some really tough times. And the lessons I learned basically was to, if you're going to fail, fail quickly, because I procrastinated in letting people go. And I, I, if you see things turning around, don't hesitate, take action, and it, otherwise it'll cost you dearly and the I hired a, a consultant at the time and two pieces of advice cost me fifty thousand dollars to get this advice I'll give it to you for free <laughs> he says never ever put fruit back on the tree meaning if you once you take money out of a company don't put it back in and the next bit of advice <clears throat> was there's a huge difference in going out of business and going out of business broke yeah so those are two pieces of advice that I've carried forward. And that's the back to the point of making decisions and making decisions quickly and not just do the hang in there. The hang in there philosophy doesn't really work because we're believers in our, in our dreams and our visions. Um, 
if you're going to hang in there, you better you better be ready to for a rough ride. And we hung in there, but only because we had a business model where I subbed out everything, all the work, and I didn't have a a big workforce that uh, that we could perf- we had to support. So yeah. we we did learn a lot through that process. At what point did you hire a consultant then? Who taught you this? A uh, couple different times, probably in the early stages of that. And he kept telling me, you got to let these people go. You got to let these people go. And even my dad, who was involved in the business at the time, said the same thing. He said, if you don't, because we talked about cutting everybody's hours back, dialing their hours back. He said, what you'll do is you'll starve them to death. And then if you, if you do um, do that and you do fail, then everybody loses their job, not just the few that you have to let go, but everybody. So that stuck in my mind. So finally I made the decision to let these people go, which was, you know, it was after the fact, obviously I should have let them go probably six months prior, but I sustained, kept thinking it was going to get better. That was, those were boom days, just like Oh five, Oh six, Oh seven were. And, um, I, I learned, and when 05, 06, 07 came and 08 came, uh, I was very quick to take action. So we were much smarter when we went in that second downturn. Yeah, good. Man, that had to be rough to call people in and let, and tell them you have to let them go. Like, that's not a position I would envy. <laughs> so uh, hiring friends and family at uh, and I've learned not to minimize that. And, and whenever I hire somebody, I always say, you do realize that we're not going to work together the rest of our lives. That's the very first thing I say. There's always going to be an exit. You just need to know that. And especially if somebody like an existing employee brings uh, one of their family members and they want to hire a family member, I tell both of them, I bring them both in. Mm-hmm. I said, look, if I have to fire this one, are you going to stay? And if I have to fire that one or let that one go, are you going to stay? I said, because it's very important you understand that we're not going to work together the rest of your life. In fact, I encourage you not to be here the rest of your life. There are more than better things for you to do. So please know that there is a day that we will part ways and know that up front. And so I try and have that discussion with them up front so we don't have that down the road nasty conversation because I can remind them. I said, you remember we talked about this. Wow, that is unlike any approach I've ever heard before. I've never heard of that approach. I've always heard like from A, from my own experiences, B, from friends and families going to get a job is that the person hiring them wants to know or believe that this person is going to commit themselves to that company to their last breath. Like they don't, no. they want to hear nothing but undying loyalty nope. to the person. No, no. In fact, we, we want the loyalty, obviously, while you're in, 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 in the position, but we always encourage people to better themselves. We, we pay for education. We reimburse their education if they want a better education. Um, but manufacturing and welding specifically, can you imagine staring at a light all day? No. That's a tough, tough job. It's hot. It's dirty. You're staring at a light all day. Uh, that is a very difficult job. And, um, I never encourage, I taught my kids how to weld. I said, I'll teach you under one condition that you don't do it for a living Yeah. because this is not what I want for you in your life. So, but there are people that do it and they love doing it and hats off to them because um, that's quite 
an ordeal, but I encourage people to better themselves in all ways. And when they leave, we bless them. We give them compensation and say, good luck to you. We stay, stay in touch. We want to see you succeed. That's awesome. That's, I think it shows a whole different, it aligns with your whole different way of thinking that makes it almost make more sense why you've made that leap into where you are now, because it's another not typical way of thinking. You have this company that you built into a humongous success and you sold it. Yeah. And now you just went off on this completely other, seemingly unrelated, although it does relate back and link back to your other experience. But now you're all about promoting, supporting American-made products. That's it. That's a, that's a very basic uh, concept. And now we're going forward with, so we started MadeInAmerica.com. Um, a little bit of history. I bought most of these domains back before 2000. Um, I saw Congress, 20 senior senators uh, decided to retire. I said, something's up. And sure enough, and this was 98, uh, they gave China temporary most favored trade status. So I said, okay. So I started buying these domains, MadeInAmerica.com. AmericanMade.com, MadeInUSA.com, MadeInTheUSA.com. So I bought all four of those. Um, they weren't cheap and they weren't easy to get, but we got them. Thinking one day I'd do something with them. Um, that was right in the middle of those growth years that we talked about. And never knowing what to do, but figured they'd have some value at some point. So, um, and in 2000, it was confirmed to me because uh, the president at the time, uh, whose name I won't mention, uh, gave China permanent most favored trade status in his very last year of service. And so consequently, the free trade experiment started. And the free trade experiment, we can look back and see that it was an utter failure. We lost, uh, basically that means that all the tariffs went away that were in existence 100 years prior to that. Those tariffs were the level, the playing field for U.S. manufacturers. As, as manufacturers, we had to pay a fair wage. We had to pay insurance. We had to pay our overhead, we have lawyers to deal with, we have government regulations to deal with, all this bureaucracy that we have to, and overhead we have to cover, the other countries don't have to pay. So um, by giving uh, China most favorite trade status, it allowed all these multinational companies, if you remember Motorola and Gateway Computers and Dell Computers, yeah. all those wow. were made here, yeah. all those were made here, and <clears throat> allowed them to go offshore, find the cheap labor, find the low regulations, find uh, no taxes, and all that was brought in. So basically it gave unfettered access to the most valuable asset on the planet, which is the U.S. consumer base. The U.S. consumer base controls the world's economy. And that's, they got a, they became um, very, uh, very crafty in the way that they were able to do that. So Free trade experiment, if you look back, thousands of our communities were devastated. The manufacturers were crushed, uh, left the community. The, the, if you drive through some of those towns, they're absolutely ghost towns. Uh, those manufacturers left. Uh, Four million jobs were lost uh, over that period of time. And consequently, all because um, they were, we were given, those tariffs were, were taken away. And now the administration's in the process of what I call reinstating those tariffs basically protecting U.S. manufacturers in a way that was in place 20 years ago. If you remember the late 90s, we had some of the most thriving economy that we've ever had in this country. And um, 
we're back. We're headed back that direction now. So we're excited about the future and, and what that holds. And we have these U S manufacturers are fighting every day, these imported products, cheap imported products. And, and our sovereignty, like I said, very, very first early on is literally at stake. Yeah. And you know, something unusual that, well, I thought it was unusual too, that I discovered because obviously uh, what we do at the moment is heavily digital, right? So we're building the community, the made in the, like the American pride community online. And so obviously you're going to look for other communities that are like yours and kind of try to bounce off each other. So I did, and I found these, you know, proud to be an American pages and all this and all this. But then if you take just a few minutes and you go a little deeper, I'm going to say the majority of those pages are not in America. They're, they're not Americans. They're like, people from different countries who are creating these American pride pages. And I don't know, I, I don't know why there must be some sense, but it's like, they're, they're studying us. Like they're, you know, they're learning from us and then they're kind of sending you. And, and then there's obviously advertisers on their page and they're making, they have hundreds of thousands of followers, some of them. And then they have the paid ads that are out there. And I was like, who would have, who would have even thought, like even the online, the stuff that's free to set up even on like social media pages, it's not even American. It's, a, it's crazy to me. Like, would you ever have thought that? And most people don't look. They just see patriotic picture. Here's a sunrise over the Statue of Liberty. I love this. Here's all of my information. You're like, what? <laughs> Whoa, you know, it's crazy no, out there. Yeah. I, I, the term I use is blasphemy. Yeah, uh, that's a, <laughs> there you uh, go. It's, it's a very strong term. Yeah, but, but it truly is. Uh, you you see, I have a collection of Statue of Liberties and red, white, and blue things that are no, oh, yeah, not yeah, made yeah. in this country, and they figured out how to how to actually make money off of our patriotism. Yep. You see all the hats all the veterans wear with, you know, their Korean vets or their Vietnam yeah. oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or World War Two. Every one of those hats is made outside this country. Wow. Maybe even from the country that is on that. That they fought. That's yes. wild. That's so wild. Yeah. Those, those are things that it's awareness. So yeah. the next, the next venture in this leg of this. Uh, so the trade show is the awareness. Uh, we also bought madeinamerica.org. So now we have a nonprofit. So we can now raise money from, take grants from government. We can take, uh, industry can contribute, individuals can contribute, and the whole idea basically is to educate consumers the importance of buying American-made products. So the plan is to do some very high-level uh, ad campaigns with PSAs nationwide, something along the level of, of uh, just say no to drugs or Smokey the Bear, really high level so that people consciously check the label. Yeah. If they can consciously check the label and understand that the dollars that they just spent on that American-made product uh, will actually come back to them, a percentage of that will. Uh, I'm writing a book called Circle Economics, and where money is basically short stories of how money goes in a circle. And that if we keep money in that circle, that circle will thrive. Uh, if you remember the days of the downtowns, when downtowns were thriving, there wasn't a lot of money in the downtowns, but the money changed hands back and forth across Main Street a number of times, and it felt like a lot of wealth. So it all has to do with keeping money in that circle. Uh, you, you know what happened when the money left that circle of downtowns? They're devastated. So mm -hmm. um, all through big box stores in many cases or the malls. So those are different things. 
that happened. And now it's happening online with uh, online shopping. So a lot of those are being devastated. So the model changes over time. So the next phase of that is 80% of Americans want to buy an American-made product. So according to Consumer Reports, 80% of Americans want to buy an American-made product. Well, why aren't they doing that? And even 60% of those are willing to pay a 10% premium. Why aren't they doing that? We believe it's because of availability. The retailers have literally cut off the U.S. manufacturers from selling U.S.-made products. So we are creating the largest online store of U.S.-made products. Oh, that's it cool. It will be madeinusa.com, so it will be a quick, easy way for people to find, identify, and purchase an American-made product, consequently keeping dollars here. Uh, the goal is to be the doorway or the gateway between the U.S. manufacturers and the world. That's awesome. So what are, how, what's the vetting system for that? Because I know even a lot of veterans who have companies, um, you know, that employ veterans and are patriotic and say most of their stuff, whether it's apparel or this product or that, most of it's made in this country, but some of it they outsource, like they get their material from here or they, whatever, because they have to, out, like, what is the, what's the barrier there to, to be listed on your site? Certainly that's a challenge. Yeah. Uh, what we've, we're, we're not the police. Right. So we decided to resort to using the FTC's standard. The Federal Trade Commission has a standard to be made, consequently, to be okay. branded made in USA. So if somebody checks the box that their product is made in USA, we accept that. So they basically self-certify. And that, that's what the website will say, that they will self-certify. And interestingly enough, the consumers will police it. They will yes. tell you real quick that that product was not made in the United States. And so through that process, and we ask for their help. And uh, so once we get to about a half a million uh, products, we will turn it, that on. Because if oh you don't gosh. have enough products to yeah. turn it on, you're not significant enough and people won't come back. So we have yep. to build that database. And we're earning the trust of these manufacturers through the trade show and through these other events and through folks like yourself. And once we earn their trust and become the lead thought leader in Made in USA and Made in America, they think of us, um, then people, and we already have people wanting to list their products. And so we're in the process of putting those pieces together. Once we get uh, 2020 lined up, teed up, ready to go, um, we'll, we'll, we'll launch that. Um, we'll get that process started. So this is a, that you're in it for the, the long game, like the, you know, the long run. It's more than, I'll say just a convention because I know it's not just a convention. That was a beast to put on. But um, we want to be the whole solution, the entire solution. If you can educate consumers yeah. and if you can make products available and make them accessible, that's the solution. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. We talk about doing it, but nobody's taking any action to right. solve the problem. So there's um, – and there's no competition. If somebody else does the same thing, all boats rise. We all win. Right. Everybody wins. We, if Amazon tomorrow decides to separate out their American-made products, that's great. We're excited about that. Yeah. We, we had made a difference. We had convinced them that, and it's right now we have a supply-driven economy. We need a demand-driven economy, meaning that we as consumers need to demand yeah. that we that more American-made products are available to us in the stores. So if even 10,000 people tomorrow went to their big box store and found the manager and said, 
where are you making me products? Show me where you're making me products are. That would make a difference. Just a few number of people starting to say, where are they? I want them. And even Walmart has responded. If you look back four or five years ago, they came up with a $50 billion originally initiative, and then they went to a $250 billion made in America initiative. Still just peanuts in the, in the world of, of retail. So they had listened to some degree, but we need a louder voice and we need to, we need to use it. And it's all about us requesting and us demanding as consumers what we want to buy and where that product needs to be made. Yeah. I mean, do you extend that to the food industry as well? The food industry, absolutely. So the food industry, there are four basic, four large companies that control our food, 80% of our food. They have huge lobby groups in Washington. They have worked and are working on removing labeling. <laughs> so you will not know where your food comes from. It's crazy. Already, the beef industry, the Meat Packers Association, has the power. Here's, so they have meat coming in from Mexico, going through USDA um, uh, facilities, and being stamped U.S. beef. That, and the beef, the, the oh, cattle, cattle ranchers are up in arms about it. So there's already a big fuss there. But that's just one instance of a lot of different products that are coming into this country. And we've, we've gotten out of the habit of buying our fruits and vegetables when they're in season. Yeah. They're in season around the world. So in order for us to continually have a continuous supply of blackberries or blueberries, they have to come from somewhere. Right. But we have been spoiled in the fact that some of those products do have to come from outside the country. And, and, and by the way, they still use DDT around the world, except the United States. And, and so there are some chemicals that there's no way you can get organic products from outside this country. So they're anyway, separate subject. Yeah, no, but it's fascinating because the food industry, it's almost like if you start to get in there and start reading, you're afraid to put anything on the table for your family. It's, it's insane. Yes. Do, did I see, by the way, do you also have a cattle ranch? Yes. So why not? Like, let's just do that as well. <laughs> uh, That's I, awesome, I, by the way. Uh, uh, I don't even see, but I'm a redneck at heart. So. Yeah, I love that. You know, me too. Me too. I love it. Uh, give me my guns and my Bible and my family and I'm ready to go. <laughs> so. That's the best way. People don't think that about New York, but like I got two horses I'm looking at right now, you know, in the yard and there's farms all over. They're dwindling. The farms are dwindling drastically, but yeah, we're, there's, Rednecks out here in New York too. Oh well, we love it. It's the best just way got, to be. Huh? My wife just got back from the Finger Lakes, and so you know what she enjoyed there. So oh yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> was it organic wine? Uh, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah, we're not too far from there. People uh, drive up there all the time from here. All right, so we'll get back to this convention for a minute because I know the time is creeping by, but this is so interesting to me. I, I love it. Uh, how did you do things? Like you had the concept and you tossed it around. You said, okay, we're in, let's just go for this. Right. How did you say pick the venue first? Oh, well, uh, we looked at several, but if you look at Indianapolis and you look at it on a map and you look at where the manufacturing is, it's primarily in the Midwest and Indianapolis has about six major roads that lead to Indianapolis. So, we, we chose them uh, for a number of reasons. One, they're the number one, they're voted number one convention center in the country, um, which makes them expensive. Um, but 
it was a great facility. It was the right choice. It, it, we kind of put it in the hub. We could have had it in Orlando, but uh, that's not where the manufacturers are. So we wanted it for them to be convenient for them to drive two, three, four hours and participate. And we drew a map afterwards. We have a map of, of where all they came from, where everybody came from. And it was right there in the hub of where we, right there in the bullseye, where we thought they would come. So that's, Smart. That, that's how that came. To be. Was it what were the logistics like trying to plan an event that's being held in Indianapolis when you're in Florida? That's where the contractors come in. Yeah, uh, they, that's what that's their wheelhouse. That's what they do. The decorator and all those people. Um, we really only had to make one trip in the mid, middle of the year um, because they set that thing up in a matter of days. There's not a lot of prep time, and you get your hotels figured out. You get all your uh, your decorator figured out. And it, it, it almost runs itself other than the sales side. The sales side is the toughest part. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, sales, sales, sales. That's what your dad said, right? And that's true. Right. That is very true. That's true for anything. That's true for books. That's true for whatever you have. If you can't sell exactly. it, it doesn't exist. Exactly. Kind of thing. Um, so you had a lot of manufacturers show up, though. We had 270 manufacturers come. Uh, yeah. Everything from shoelaces to big equipment. A uh, guy drove a whole a truck from Iowa. Uh, <laughs> a big hay baler, and that, that thing was huge. And then we had uh, uh, lots of uh, lots of uh, participation. We did it. It just worked out that we did it on manufacturing day. So consequently, Fox came and they did seven interviews: Fox Business and Fox and Friends. That's great. And so we got a lot of high level exposure. Uh, from that and got several companies on Fox. Um, we're actually in the process of uh, pitching Fox right now to, to come back on and do what we call a, a Made in America Christmas and expose different products that would make gifts That's awesome. and try and convince more of those dollars to be spent on American made products yeah. uh, and actually trying to convince them to do a segment a week between now and Christmas uh, so that we can have five or six different products during those segments and promoting the idea of spending American dollars on American products to save American jobs. Yeah, that's that's no. pretty awesome. I hope they I hope they take you up on that. That would be cool. Um, and they would, I think, be the network to do it. Okay, so I know this may seem like a a little redundant here, but I like to ask anyway. You know, part of what we're doing and the reason that we're doing it is because we still believe in the American dream. We believe anybody can achieve it. For me, I for me to see people like you taking advantage of what's available in this country and the opportunity and work for it and build something and then give back in the way you're doing for me, that makes me happy. Not only for you, but selfishly, it sort of reminds me that everything my family has been through and gone through and given up is not wasted kind of thing. You know, it's like you work so hard, you give so much to, for, to be a part of providing something that's just wasted or overlooked or spit on. So, you know, for me to see people enjoying that and doing exactly what it's intended to do sort of validates things and gives that all the purpose, which helps it make it easier, you know, to, to go I, forward. I think, so, I think what you're, I think what you're saying, one of the vets actually said it at the, at the convention, he said, yeah. the one thing you can do for me is being an American. I can be proud of to, yeah. defend, to be somebody worth defending being American worth defending. And I think yeah. that that's what our role is. That's what we should be. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a little hesitant to, to like say, this is what I think 
is worthy of that, you know, but, but, you know, just seeing people appreciate and value everything that's here and, and acknowledge that and recognize and make the most of it just makes me happy. But back to the American dream, because we also know that the American dream, it exists and it's there and it's available, but we make no mistake. We don't think it's, I don't think it's a universal thing. I think everybody has their own version of the American dream. And that's where people get hung up when they hear the American dream. They ah, that's, you know, crap. And that doesn't exist, but it does. It's just individual to everyone. So that makes me want to ask you, you know, what is your own version definition of the American dream? Interesting question. Yeah. Uh, I think that it just starts with an, um, getting by yourself and being quiet and, and just saying, okay, Lord, what's next? And having that vision come. And then basically following that vision with the full belief of everything you have and everything you are. And that is how you start. I think that that's just my thinking. And then you just put everything you are and everything you have into that with the belief that it's going to succeed. And if it fails, that's okay too. Uh, you, you did what you were supposed to do and what you feel led to do. So just stay faithful and, and just keep moving forward. We call it momentum. Every day we inch forward and a little bit of momentum at the end of the day, you will wind up at your goal and just every day have right three things you're going to take care of and take care of those three things. And then the next day have three more things you're going to take care of. If you didn't take care of yesterday, take care of them today. And so those are, those are the things you have to make progress. If you don't make progress and you, what we call floundering, you flounder in not being able to make a decision, make a decision, make it fast move on it, take action, right or wrong, make a decision. And then, because otherwise people have great ideas, but they don't act on them. And that's, I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. And, or, or they don't have faith or they have dream killers around them saying that'll never work. That can't happen. Are you crazy? What are you doing? And we all have dream killers. Everybody has dream killers. We have, them. we have people as we started this show, a guy that did shows for years, he said, Oh, that'll never happen. You can't do that. And he was serious. Yeah. And that sucked the life out of you if you let it suck the life out of you. So you just have to plug your ears and say, I don't believe that. And then back to controlling your thinking. That is not what I believe. That is not. Their disbelief in me has no control over me and my future. Yeah, super important. And I, that just impacted me today. I finally, you know, you don't listen to all the haters and, and all that. But every now and then, Someone just gets you at the right time and the right one in a million shot. And it kind of like gets you, right? And they got me this morning a little bit. I got over it, right? But uh, you, just, it, you just have to constantly maintain, <laughs> maintain that mindset. And if you, if you like, uh, let that mindset go for just a minute, man, they're going to get in and they're going to get you. So no, they'll turn it into an advantage. Say, yeah. you know, hold my beer. I'll show yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I got a lot of people holding a lot of beers around this country. <laughs> I can't wait to get them all back. Right. <laughs> so if somebody wants to find out more about made in America, either how to list their products, their company on your site, or how to find, to be the consumer who goes to you, uh, you know, for more information to get involved with your movement or anything along those lines, how can they do that? Uh, it's very simple, madeinamerica.com. It's not, uh, there's lots of resources there. We're in the process of revamping the website. So uh, not sure when this airs, but we'll be 
will be online here probably within a couple of days. So it should okay, be pretty perfect. quick. Perfect. Then we will do our best to get this out before the whole holiday season, you know, hits, you know, probably uh, certainly before Black Friday, we'll go ahead and, and get that out great. and be, be that uh, person. That's actually perfect timing when you think yes, of it. Yes, so yes. Um, yeah, that's excellent. So that's what we'll do. We'll get it out before then. And I will definitely let you know. Thank you so much really for a for all you're doing it's such a cool thing i can't wait to watch it rise and to um know that we got to be one of the first people to be a part of sharing that story because i think in another year or two there's going to be a lot more layers to get to you to share this story because a lot more people are going to want to be sharing it and be a part of it so thank you for letting us be uh, you know a part of this here as you're getting going super exciting and i'm excited for you Thank you for having me, Barb. I'm excited about your event. I'm, I'm looking forward to coming and seeing you and yeah. getting to know folks. And, and uh, you, you're, you're one of those great Americans that you're making a difference and you're becoming significant. And that is what it takes uh, in order to make a difference. So uh, I support you with everything we are and everything we have. So good Thank luck you. to you as well. Thanks. Awesome. All right, everyone, that wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'd like to personally thank Don Buckner for being here as well. Uh, if you want to learn more about Don Buckner, just head on over to americansnippets.com. Check out the recent episode. We do a full featured article on our guests, on Don. Uh, you can watch the video interview there in its entirety and also uh, we, we throw in some social media links to his profiles and company madeinamerica.com. Uh, if you got any value out of today's episode or any episode that we've done in the past, please share uh, this podcast with a friend, uh, share your favorite episode on social media, and don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Uh, we will see you next week. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are.